Well, our, our, mine and Lisa's, our fellowship group um, was meeting a week ago, uh, Monday night. When we meet, we're, we're, it's a, it, we're, there are some younger kids, but the kids are a little older. And so when we meet, we have a meal together every time we meet. So we gather around a table. Uh, we enjoy a meal, uh, catching up. Uh, I will generally ask a few questions related to the message, you know, of the, of the, of the week. So we're just kind of tracking in, 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 a, in a book, uh, in the book that we're studying. And, um, and then usually in our group time, I will end it by asking everyone for a prayer request. Now I'll pass out three by five cards. So everyone's got a three by five card. And I'll say, you know, I want you to write a prayer request on there. And then we exchange the cards, like everyone's requested and on there, it's just one per person. So for example, I have in my billfold, I have a little folded three by five card um, from uh, Eric and I have his prayer request. So between you know, the time we met till we meet again, I, I pray for Eric. And that's how I want us as a group to be praying for one another on a regular basis. I had been in this passage that we're getting ready to look at. And so I'd been thinking about prayer and, and I, I stopped the group. And I said, you know, okay, wait a minute. Here's how I want you to write this down. I, I want you to write down a prayer request in this way. What would you ask the apostle Paul to pray for you? And it's kind of, and it's like everything shifted, right? You know, normally you might write something pretty quick. And, and then I said, well, what would you have Paul pray for you? Now, Paul's gonna say later in this letter, pray about everything. So there's no limit on what to pray for. Hear me on this, pray about everything. And yet, you know, when we look at Paul's prayers in the Bible, and it's not all of them, but the ones we have, his everything doesn't look a lot like our everything per se. And so I say this not to limit what we pray for, but to ask the question, are there there certain things that are more important than others to be praying for? Are there certain things that matter, can we say matter most? I pray about everything, but this matters most. As we move into this next section of Philippians, we're gonna pick up the next three verses in chapter one here in a moment. Uh, Paul's gonna answer the question. And I think Paul does indicate to us in our praying, there are some things that should rise to the top of our prayer list, the things about which we bring to God. And I'll tell you, I cannot think of something I can't think of a more important thing to be praying for than that which Paul presents us with this morning. If you're you're not already there, and and I want you guys on the back, hold off on showing the sentence diagrammed, and I'll tell you, I'll I'll ask you when to throw it up. But if you're not there, because first I want you to see something before I go to a slide I'm I'm gonna work from. Look at verse three, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Let's not miss that we're in a context, I'm gonna talk about a broader context in a moment, where where Paul prays for the Philippians. Um, We see this in other letters as well. Now, here's what we get in Philippians that we don't always get in some of the other ones. We actually get to see what he prayed, why he prayed it, and why it matters. I mean, that's a big deal that we get this insight this morning which takes us to chapter one, verses nine through 11. Now, let me say this. It's three verses. Um, As I was studying it, y'all, I got off on so many rabbit trails because there's so much 
within these three verses. And, and I pulled back and I, and I thought, how do, I, I could talk about so much in this, but what I'm gonna do this morning, I don't always get to do this, but um, you'll see Rob do this at times as well, is I'm, I'm gonna teach this using a sentence diagram. Now I can do it because it's only three verses, you know, and it kind of all sits there. You can do it in other ways, but I just love the way it can just sit there and we can look at the whole of, of, of this thought in this context. So I'm gonna put this sentence diagram up and you'll see this and I am gonna be walking through, I'm gonna be marking this sentence up uh, as, as I move through the text. Now, let me say this. this, this thing writes so thick and my screen is so small, I, you're gonna look up there and go, man, I can't even read what you wrote, Lloyd, and, and, and I'll get it, <laughs> and I understand it. I have got, I'll have on the website a very clean and neat diagram with, with all that I'm writing here. Everybody with me on that? But, but I want you to see it. And here's why I did it this way too. Not just to keep me from rabbit trails, but because in this way, we get to see, visually see what in the world he's talking about. And we get to, it'll help us understand not, not just the main idea, but it'll help us move to application. You know, in, in light of what he's saying, oh, oh, so this is the application and here's why. It becomes very evident when we look at a piece of, uh, a text of passage in this way. So look at chapter one, we are in verses nine through 11. I've got in a sentence diagram here and it begins in, in verse 9a, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. And, I, and, I, and I'm just gonna note this, this is the main clause visually, I want you to see, this is what he's talking about. Praying that your love may abound more and more. And everything else he says fits under that umbrella. So we don't ever wanna get far from that. Now, what he's praying, the main idea, I'm praying that your love will abound more and more. Uh, to abound that your love may abound. You might think of that in this way. Um, it is like, uh, it's like, it's like water abounding, you know, uh, flowing, overflowing. It's like a spring that's bubbling over. So your love would just bubble over, just continually outflow. Paul's never one to, 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 to waste words. And so I find it interesting that he actually adds two more words more, I mean, he could have just said, I pray that your love may abound, we'd have got it. But Paul adds more and more, why? Because he wants the effervescence of our love to just to blow the top, to continually flow more, 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 continually to be going. Do you see that? It's for emphasis, more and more. He says, I pray that your love, and I want you to note here, this word love, and I'm just gonna go over here and say, this is the word, Agape. He doesn't use the uh, the Greek word um, eros, which would be romantic sexual love. He doesn't use the Greek word phileo, which would be friendship love. He's using agape love, which is the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. So I want to note that this is the kind of love he's talking about: sacrificial. And it is unconditional. I'm gonna add three more words to help us grasp. This is, you know, he could have chosen another word for love, but he chose this one. So this love is an act, an act 
of the will. This is not sentimentality. It's not, it's not fundamentally an emotion. It, there is emotion, but it's not fundamentally emotion. Agape is an act of the will. It's always for the good of another. Agape love is for an act of the will for the good of another at great cost. See that? So now we're talking about that you may love how? With an act of the will for the good of another at great cost. I'd never heard the story that Brian told about his grandfather, which was an amazing, I won't forget that. And now you think about it. It was not that he, you know, his grandfather didn't go, honey, I wish, I hope someday you don't have to stoop down there. You know, somebody will take care of that for you. No, 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 no. See, his grandfather, an act of his will, right? At, at, at great cost to himself, did it for her. Do you see that? This is agape. That's the love that is to abound and overflow from within. Now, I wanna step back um, and I'm gonna get to this because, it, he says, what, what kind, what, uh, how would I say, how, what kind of love? You know, it's agape love, but there's, what's, what's the nature of this agape love? I wanna get to that in a moment. Before I get to the, the description of that love further, I wanna step back. And so I want you to just stick with me for a moment because when we, when we talk about kind of love and we talk about the purpose of this love, we have to see these nine verse, these three verses within the context of the letter. It makes a difference. Here's what I mean. I talked about this two weeks ago. When we think of Philippi and, and the letter that went to them, when you read the book in, in its entirety, which I really wanna say this, I would encourage you just to hang to have this around. And when you've got 12 minutes, you just peel it open and you can read that in 12 minutes and just keep reading it as we move through it over these next few months. But, but when we read the letter in, in, on the whole, chapters one and two, you'll note these phrases. He tells them to be of one mind, have the same love in full accord. He even says this, I want you to do all things without grumbling and disputing. Why would he tell them to do all things without grumbling and disputing? Why? Because they're grumbling and disputing. Y'all, they are not getting along, okay? In this book of joy, um, there is a, there's a profound measure, I would say it this way, of divisiveness and strife. And may I say, I, I believe the context primarily is focusing on their love for one another. I think it's within, but based on some other things in, in the text, but I, I won't go into right here. But by the way, he pops the pimple on this one, right? When he, said, when he names names. I mean, he just flat out says it. Yodi, Sintiki, you guys, come on, right? And so, there is a deep measure of divisiveness and strife. Secondly, chapter one, verse 29, Paul says, embrace suffering. We're gonna to get to this where he, he, he says that we're called not only to, 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 to know Christ's love, but to suffer with him like he suffered, which tells us that when they put their trust in Christ some 10 years earlier, we talked about that two weeks ago, that, that their life has been a life of strife and struggle and suffering. If you missed it last week, and I say this when we're teaching through these books like this, you got to keep up with each message. And I know we miss them. So go back and watch Rob. It's an amazing message. And you remember what he talked about? The messy middle, the messy middle. And so these, these believers find themselves in the messy middle. And all of us will never be out of the messy middle until the day of Christ. Thirdly, on top of this, some of these Philippian Christians were were having, or they were confused about their citizenship, their allegiance and their loyalty. I mentioned to you, you know, that this, this, this little city had a, a number of retired military 
soldiers, officers. They, this is a very patriotic group of people. This, these are people very loyal to the emperor, right? Because they're a Roman colony and they have all those benefits. And it's why in chapter three, verse 20, Paul will say, our citizenship is in heaven because where your citizenship is, there is your loyalty and allegiance, not to any, not to anything on earth. Your loyalty and allegiance is bound to your citizenship in heaven. Um, so I want us to see that because when we put why he's saying this thing in, the, in, in this letter, y'all, divisiveness and strife, okay? I don't think it's ever been more pervasive. This is me in my lifetime than today. Globally, locally, within the church, within the church, divisiveness and strife. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen the messy middle more on a corporate level. I mean, I kind of get it in my own life, but I'm telling you, you know, within our, our community of faith, within, within evangelicalism, it's a messy middle. And perhaps since no time, in, in no time since maybe Vietnam, I, mean, I was a kid in Vietnam, my dad was in, in Vietnam. And so I'm not, you know, it'd be more that I read than experienced, but I don't know that we've ever been as confused or at odds with each other. I'm speaking about Americans right now, uh, confused and at odds about our allegiance and about what are the, what's, what are the, what's the answer to this stuff that's going on in our world. I think we're just so divided around that. I was in Costco um, Saturday a week ago and, and I heard someone, I was in the self-checkout line, but I heard one of the guys say to a customer, dude, I love your shirt, man. And then the, and then the guy goes, dude, I could, sell, I could sell 100 of these a day. And so I was curious, you know, I'm going, well, what does that shirt say? Now, I've, I've, got, I've gotten pushed back on this. I'm trying to qualify this to say, you know, you may have the shirt, you know, it's okay. But it just points out how we have different, we, we stand in different places on the answer. So I'm going, what does that shirt say? Whatever, I glance over the shirt. And it's just, it's a shirt that says, big block letters, defund the media. Yeah, you know, and, and I go, okay, well, that's, one's, that's one person's answer to the problems of our day. And, and let me say this, there are others who would stand on the other side and say, fund the media or, you know, freedom is, you know what I'm saying? And, and I could take something else and they'd be, and I take something else and it's over here. But what's the biblical answer to the fundamental divisiveness and strife, confusion about allegiances and within the church. And I'm talking about what's the fundamental answer for the church, because this is not an answer I would, for, for, for someone who doesn't know Christ. What's the fundamental answer to the issues of our day for those who are following Christ and seeking to follow him with their whole heart? I tell you, there's an answer that Paul gives in the text and it's this, pray and pray that your love abound more and more. That's the answer. I'm gonna call this the, um, I'm gonna call it the priority of prayer and the preeminence of love. The priority of prayer and the preeminence of love. That's, that's what the passage 
is about. Now, lest we think that this love is just emotionalism or sentimentality, notice that he goes on and he says, the kind of love, he says, is to be a love with, and this with could be with, in, out of, with knowledge and all discernment. Um, I need to unpack the words just briefly. With, with knowledge, this is the Greek word. It's the Greek word epinosis. Uh, this, this word Paul uses, when Paul uses this word, he's speaking of um, knowing Christ and, and, and knowing God. The most important thing I want you to know about this particular word of knowledge is that it is experiential. It's experiential knowledge. Lord, what do you mean by that? I mean this, it's knowledge, yes, and, and don't, don't miss this. Love requires some thinking. <laughs> Love requires truth. Love requires some knowing. But this knowing he speaks of here is experiential knowledge. That is, it's something you know because you experience it. And as he uses this with our, in our relationship with God and with Christ, it is a love that comes out of your own knowing experientially of God in Christ. It, it points to, a, to the dynamic of your relationship with God. That, that you know God's love, you've experienced God's love. You know God through Christ and it's out of that knowing. Are you with me? Not just, I have read about it. This says this about God. Hey, God said he's like this. No, I know because I'm walking in relationship with God. And it's out, out of that level of knowing that love is to abound. And then he says, and all discernment. You know what discernment means discernment, and the Greek means this as well, it's insight, it's perception, it's being able to discern between. This is no just, you know, mushy love. Ooh, we got a low battery, okay? So this may go out before we get done. At least I got that on here. But So this is a, this is a very informed love, isn't it? And, and, and we know this, you know, parents, you know, love at times may mean withholding something from a child. Does a child feel loved when you say no? No, but are they being loved? Yes, you see that? that, but that takes a discerning love. How about sometimes love may require relinquishing? You know, love may require letting go of, the, oh, that's love to let go. Yes, it's love to let go. How about this? Sometimes love may actually mean taking something away. You have it, but it's being removed from you, personally removed from you, or you go to someone to help remove something from them that's killing them. You see, love is discerning and perceptive. And now I'm gonna go to the purpose. Let's go to the purpose, because now we got the purpose clause. What's the reason that we would that our love would abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. And he gives two reasons. He says, one, that you may approve what's excellent and two, and so be. And, and another reason, and then what comes from this is that you would be pure and blameless. Let's start with approve and excellent. The word approve, the Greek word uh, carries the idea of put to the test, put to the test, excellence, 
is the idea of things that differ, put to the test things that differ. What, what is, what is, wait, what is, it's, it's this, when we, when we put, put these together. And you'll hear, you'll hear discernment in this. So you'll hear a deepening of discernment. The first purpose of abounding love with knowledge and all discernment is that by it, you are able to differentiate things that are different. You're able to differentiate between that. It's, it's not that which is like, oh, I can differentiate good from bad. I can differentiate what's truth from lie. It's not, it's not that. It's differentiating what's best from what's good. What, you know, there's a lot of good, but here's the highest good. And so that by your life and my life, when we are loving in this way, we are, we are showing others what's best. We're approving what's best. Does that make sense? I mean, it's like we're, we're billboard sign. By my life and choices, you see, this is what's best. This is the highest good. And then secondly, it says, so that you'd be pure and blameless, pure, uh, it's, it's two Greek words. I know it's like pure and you go, how to get two Greek words in that? But it's two Greek words. It's sunlight and judged, which doesn't make sense until we put ourselves in the shoes of the original readers. And in that day when they had pottery, and if it was broken, it would be repaired and they would just take some dust from the pottery, they'd mix it with wax and put it in the cracks and they would put it all together. And you could not see that this was, this was a broken vase until you held it up too, like that light's blinding me and you hold a vase up and you see, oh my gosh, this thing's been repaired. Hey, this has no, this, this vase is, doesn't have integrity. Does that make sense? You'd be pure. Now it's not that, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this, it's not that we as vases per se are, 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 uh, are not um, put back together because quite frankly, we're a mess. We're broken, shattered. We've been put back together, but not with the dust and wax. No, 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 no. See, all our cracks and faults and, and our wholeness being put back together is put back together by the blood of Christ, literally by the blood of Christ. So the idea is, is in Christ, there's integrity in that vase in us, the pure. Blameless is the idea of not causing another to stumble so that you don't cause others to stumble. The context is love. And so the simple way to see this is, I'll I'll put, the, the simplest way to see this is to say, does your love confuse people about God's love or make God's love really clear? That's what, he, that's what the text is, is asking, is showing. Does the way you love make God's love so clear or does it cause people to stumble? This is the, the power of, you know, I'll use the, the, the power of a father in the life of a child. You know, uh, as a dad, you know, does, did my love, does my love for my kids confuse them? This is why abuse is so tragic where the father, you know, may abuse it. This, I'm going to the dark end, but may abuse a child. You see the child's, what? You're my dad? You, you, you love me, but you do. See what I'm saying? Just dark. And the question for us is, does our love confuse people about God's love? Or does our love just make abundantly clear this is how God loves? I don't want you to miss the timestamp on here. 
because he says, for the day of Christ. So, so Paul, this is the second time he said this, by the way. In verse six, he says, the day of Christ's return. He's gonna say, I think four other times in this short letter, day of Christ, when Christ returns. Paul lived his life with the day of Christ. Can I say this? Right here. He really did believe he's gonna come in his day. And so I, I, I use it this way. Paul's life was directed by the day of, the day of Christ was right here when he made decisions, how he responded, how he loved. And it made me think of this. This is a silly way maybe to think about it, but you know how oftentimes you may have been taught, and this is a really helpful tool, by the way, that when you have a decision to make, you can make a pro and a con list. Everybody with me? Have you done this? And, and maybe you still do. And I just want to say it's, it's, it's good. It's worth doing. Because you say, I'm going to make this decision. Uh, and, and there's, uh, you know what? There's, there's some really positive, oh my gosh, that's a really positive thing that would come from this. And we go down. And then we say, okay, there's, there's a negative or that's a big negative. And then we go down and we add them up. You know, you got, I got 12 positive and I got, I got three negative. You know, it kind of helps us shape decisions. I think it's very helpful. But Paul, with this timestamp on this in the day of Christ, I think I'm reading between the lines, but I think Paul is reflected in the letter and how he lived his life. Paul seemed to have another category over here called day of Christ. And so Paul looked at his life and, and, and I wanna suggest Paul looked at his life in this way. What, um, will, th- what will, this make, will this make me glad in the day of Christ? Hmm, will this be beneficial for the day of Christ? Is this gonna make me happy to meet Jesus and give an account of my life? Which we all will. Not an account of our sin. Listen, saved by grace, covered in the blood of Christ. If you put your faith in Christ, you're not gonna stand before Jesus and have a given explanation for your sin. But the scripture's quite clear that we will have a day where Christ does come and set all things right, but we'll give an account. We'll be like the steward, right? We'll be stewards, say, here's how I stewarded the life you've given me. So, so, so perhaps day of Christ, we ought to bring, you know, bring it out from, from the horizon and bring it to our immediate place to measure our lives, even as Paul encourages us here, encourages us here in our love for the day of Christ is near. Okay, it ends with um, it ends with the result. What what what's the result of this? Well, um, the one who's loving this way is filled. That's uh, continuous, by the way, tense. So it's over and over, continuously filled with the fruit. I'm gonna talk about the horticulture picture here of righteousness. This is I'm gonna cut to the quick on this. This is Christ's righteousness in us on our behalf. When he goes to that, he's, when he goes to a, a horticulture, he's usually, you might be speaking of, you know, their immediate thoughts are the vine, but I'm gonna go to a tree because I think it's, it's just easier for us to, to, to grasp the principles the same. What, what is Paul saying here? The person whose love is abounding more and more with knowledge and all discernment uh, a love that's, that's born out of an experiential relationship with God that is discerning and perceptive, uh, that is, that, that's making choices so that other people see this is the highest good, that's living with, with such integrity that um, it, 
It's not, no one's stumbling about my choices to love. In fact, it's pointing to God himself. And, 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 and I'm thinking about my choices in life in light of the day of Christ. What that, what that life produces, Paul says, is the fruit of righteousness. Now, you guys are gonna be familiar with this. It would be like, it's a tree with its roots system going out and deep, the roots of this tree. I wanna call, just to help us understand this, the roots that are reaching down, um, that, that would be you and I um, sinking our life into, note this, the life of Christ. We are drawing our life from, through Jesus Christ, from the life of Jesus. Does that make sense, everybody? When we choose to love in, in this way by Christ, what's produced in us, then what comes out of this tree is this amazing fruit now, Paul's gonna talk about this fruit in another place and you guys are gonna be super familiar with it. It is, this is, in, you know, when, when, when I say we're abiding in Christ, this is the Holy Spirit who lives in you if you've placed your trust in Christ. This is to be dependent upon the Spirit and therefore the Spirit is that which produces fruit in our life and that fruit Paul will describe in Galatians and you guys help me with this list, but what's the first fruit? The first, what is it? Love, no accident, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. What else are they? I always, I always get them confused. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Oh, I, I got them out of goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you see that? This love we're talking about, you guys, please know you're incapable of it unless it's Christ in you and you abiding in the vine of Christ and that fruit coming out of our lives. How about, have you ever, you know, think about this in our day of divisiveness and, and honestly how people can be treating one another who, who have differ, different views. Different, what if, what if you ran into someone with a different view than you have or take it, but what came out of them was love, joy, peace, patience, kind. <laughs> Do you see that? that, that you, can be, you can disagree, but if that's, if that's coming out and if that's coming out of you, that's to love one another, even in difficult days with differing views on things. Which brings us to the consummate result, main clause. It is my and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more to the glory and praise of God. Y'all, the end result, of course, is the glory of God. What does that mean? It means God's. It means our life and the way we love is is shining a light on God. This is who God is like. This is how God loves by the choices you and I make in love. Okay, two observations 
and then uh, I've, got a, I've got an observation and I'm gonna have an invitation to joy. Observation number one, abounding love is the need of the hour. Abounding love is the need of the hour. You, you know, some may say, well, Lloyd, you, you know, there are other needs of the hour. I mean, if we as Christians don't stand up and fight for this and do this, we're gonna have our way of life and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I will say to you, abounding love is the need of the hour. And if, if you struggle with it, you're struggling with Jesus, who, when the young ruler said, what's the greatest commandment? He doesn't hesitate. It is to love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Your argument really would be with Paul, who, when he wrote to the Corinthians, when that church was a mess, just like every church, really, ours included, he includes that wonderful chapter 13 on the topic of love. And at the end of that chapter, he writes, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is what? It's love, you all, it's love. Rob mentioned last week that, that you know, he and I and, and, and many others are, I'm deeply concerned about the fissures within the church, you know, the Christian community, evangelicalism as a whole, but even just church local. Um, I'm telling you, politics, COVID, um, cultural wars, they're just having a profound, and it's gonna be a lasting effect upon the church. Um, I don't have anyone in mind, but, but this, this can happen. It is, you know, my, there, there may be someone in the room or there may be someone online that, that was thinking, I'm like, I gotta go up and talk to Lloyd afterwards because man, when he prayed about Pastor Herman and COVID, all he talked about was COVID deaths. I need to go up there and tell him about the, 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 the death rate, you know, it's not, you know, you'd wanna correct me to go, look, it's not that bad. And I go, don't do that, you know, it's okay. I know what, the, I know what that rate is. Okay, you know what I'm saying? But, but, we're, but it's almost like the animosity, like I, he, Lloyd needs to tell the other side too. I know, I know there are two sides, I get that. Um, some, some, you know, for some, if you're wearing a mask in the room, I hope you feel very comfortable wearing a mask. And, 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 and those who aren't wearing a mask, you can feel comfortable not wearing a mask. But, you know, we, there's just different sides, aren't there? You go on this side, you go on that side. Vaccination, you, you know, you've gotta be vaccinated, man. You don't wanna get, let the government shoot you with this stuff. What about? I got vaccinated as soon as I was able. My whole family did. Some of you won't. Some of you did. Some of you have real reasons not to. I t totally get it. But here's, we're here, we're here. But is there love? Is there love in those differences? My observation, that's not a lot, it's, it's a little sparse, quite frankly, in our day. Love is the need of the hour. And secondly, I'll say genuine love's not something you possess, it's something you give. Let us not miss this. You don't possess love, you give love. I was laying in, on the couch one Saturday and um, a movie came on, uh, Lawrence of Arabia. I, I'd never seen it. I still haven't seen it because I slept through it, but I saw parts of it. But it made me think, and I went and Googled it. Y'all, I know this is, I should have got, learned this in high school. I didn't know there was a real Lawrence. I thought it was Peter O'Toole. You know, that's all. No, it's, there's a real Lawrence, a British soldier who befriended 
Arabs when he was assigned there. You know, it's a real true story. So anyways, this is true. And this is one of those, this is one of those illustrations that I read in every commentary I said. So you probably heard this, but it, I think it's appropriate to the point that you don't possess love, you give it. So Lawrence had his Arab friends after World War I in Paris. They looked at all the iconic places in Paris and he found that his Arab friends were more fascinated by the faucet in the bathroom than they were by the Louvre. And, and you know, as it says that when they were leaving, he found them trying to take the faucet off the bathtub. Why? Because as they said to Lawrence, you know, Arab's very dry, but if we had one of these, look, you turn it and water, you close it. And you know, and we go, that's so silly, but it's a, really appropriate look at love that you and I, men and women, if you're a Christ follower, just a faucet. And may our love about, i.e. may our love go from dripping or selective to just pouring out because there's no end to the supply. So we don't have to just kind of turn it on and off. Just turn it on, right? We turn it on. When someone's in your face, turn it on. When you wanna strike back, you turn it on. You let the love of Christ flow through you. So here's my invitation to joy. Here's the application. Um, can you get that up or I still have to do this here? Invitation to joy. I'm not getting anywhere with this. Invitation to joy. There it is. Pray Philippians. I had it up there. Pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11 for myself for 30 days. That, that's my, my invitation to your joy is that you would pray Philippians 1, 9 through 11 for 30 days. Now, I started this last weekend because, you know, when I, when I taught at Brentwood, and I'm inviting some of you to join me in praying this. It, it's a, such a simple prayer. And it's so on target. It was so honors God that our love would abound one more. So here's the other thing I'm gonna do. And this is where I got some pushback on this this week a little. So I wanna be careful, but I, I'm gonna still do it. Uh, if, you're, if you would be willing to pray that with me for 30 days, I'm gonna ask you to stand. And now here's, hear me say this. If you don't stand, you can still pray this for, for the next 30 days, right? And, and I've, I've said this and I mean it. If I were in your shoes, this is just how I'm wired. It's kind of like whenever anyone tells me to do something, I'm just not gonna do it. I just kind of do that. I hate, I, you know, that's how I can be. So if you're seated, it's okay. But we could walk out of here and you could have just made a mental note. But for some of us, and, and, and I wanna encourage you, some of us need to not just make the mental note, but make the physical note to myself and to those around me. I'm gonna pray this for 30 days. So I'll invite you to do that now. If you, if you, want, to, if you want to pray it for the next 30 days with me, and if you want to stand, stand. Everyone doesn't have to stand, but I'm gonna give you a moment. And you go, I, I, I wanna stand on this one. I wanna just say, I'm gonna do it. And I'm, I'm not gonna hold you accountable or anything like that. It's for you, between you and the Lord, if you wanna stand. I'm gonna invite everybody to stand now, if you would, please, because I, I've gone long, so this is totally on me, but we are gonna, I wanna sing this song. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're okay in the Learning Center, we'll let them know, but 
Paul later is going to talk about what's excellent, like approve what's excellent. He's going to tell us, here's some excellent things to think about. And I'll tell you, I want to sing them because it'll reinforce where our minds must go to love like Christ loved. Now, three of our uh, worship leaders wrote this song, so it's, it's at home for us. But let's lift our voices. Let's remind ourselves, can we? This is where the mind goes that loves like Christ loves.